Go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to continue our sermon series called The Hills We Will Die On. Luke chapter 10. We're going to go ahead and open it up by reading from God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, and we're going to read all the way down through verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. After these things, the Lord commissioned 72 others and sent them on ahead in pairs to every city and every place he was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. So plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. Go! Be warned, though, that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Carry no wallet, no bag, no sandals. Don't even greet anyone along the way. And whenever you enter a house, first say, may peace be on this house. And if anyone there shares God's peace, then your peace will rest on that person. If not, the blessing will return to you. And remain in that house, eat and drink whatever they set before you, for workers deserve their pay. Don't move around from house to house. And whenever you enter a city and its people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick who are there and say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. And whenever you enter a city and the people don't welcome you, go out into the streets And say, as a complaint against you, we brush off the dust of your city that has collected on our feet. But know this, God's kingdom has come to you. And I assure you that Sodom will be better off on judgment day than that city. This is the word of the Lord this morning. We're in uh, week number four of a sermon series called The Hills We Will Die On. And so I think by know you now that we share as a church, we share... We share a common mission, and our mission is really simple. It's based off the mission that Jesus handed down to all of his disciples, and it's just simply this. We exist as a church to transform ordinary people into passionate followers of Jesus. That's our heartbeat. That's what we want more than anything else. We want to see ordinary people become deeply passionate and give their whole life to following after Jesus, and we want to do it together. But for the last three weeks, we've talked about some hills, like some hills we won't die on. There are just some fights we're not willing to fight, but there are some things where we will draw a line in the sand and we will say, listen, this is important enough to us. We're not moving from this place. So we talked out of Jeremiah chapter one about how the call of God has come out to you, to you, and you were made for this. You were made for to live this kind of life. Week number two, we talked about the second hill that we'll die on, which is just simply this. What got you here to this place in your life will not get you there to where God is leading you next. We live lives of continual transformation. And then last week, we talked about the third hill that we'll die on, which is we will live together as if tomorrow and the future that God has for the world is today, not someday. We don't have to wait until the other side of glory when we are received into the arms of our Savior. We can live that way today. And today I want to talk about the fourth hill that we'll die, we will die on, which is just simply this. 
We have one job. We just have one job. And I'm going to wait to tell you what it is as we walk through this passage of Scripture together. But we have one job. So in this story in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's making his way to Jerusalem. And and as he's making his way to Jerusalem, this story happens. Now, if you, you, you don't even need to know me all that well to know that I really, I'm a, I'm a fan of sports. I enjoy sports. And in sports, there's this general principle, which is this. The clock determines the play. The clock determines the play. Here's what I mean by that. What that means is that when there's not a lot of time left, you do different things in a game than you would do when you have a lot of time. So at the beginning part of the, of the game, when you have a lot of time, the clock determines the play, and so you play a certain way. But let's say that the time is running out. It's getting late in the game. The clock determines the play. You play differently in, in football That's when you start doing the Hail Marys or the no-huddle offense or the laterals off of kickoffs. You, You don't do that stuff earlier in the game, but the clock determines the play. You play differently. In basketball, that's when it's the full court press, and that's when you're fouling people to put them on the free throw line. You don't do that stuff at the beginning of the game, but the clock determines the play. You play differently. Because of that, I mean most famously Reggie Miller, eight points. Nine seconds. Can I get an amen? You don't do that stuff earlier in the game, but you do it later in the game. Why? It's the clock. The clock determines the play. And the clock has determined that now is the time when it's urgent. And because it's urgent, it's time for desperation. So Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling there. And there's a crowd of people surrounding him, about 70 or so people. And Jesus decides, listen, the clock determines the play. It's time to buddy these people up. Send these people out ahead of me. Why? Because it's urgent. This is urgent time. And so he says to these people, hey, the harvest is bigger. He's inspiring them. The harvest is bigger than you can imagine, and it's ready. It's time. And that's inspirational because everybody loves a big harvest. Everybody loves that. Nobody would say, oh, I don't want the harvest to be that big. Can we make it a little bit smaller? I mean, this is America. We love large contracts. We love big paydays. We love all of that stuff. And, and Jesus says, it's out there. It's bigger than you can imagine, and the time is now. It's, it's, it's urgent. It's urgent. And what makes it even more urgent is that the workers are few. So the crops are ready, but, but the farm doesn't have enough hired hands, not enough laborers to build all of the cars that have already been ordered on contract I mean, two weeks ago we talked about the corn is not going to pick, pick itself. You've got to get out there and get it. And they were running the risk of running out of time. The clock determines the play. It's time to be desperate. It's time to be urgent. 
So Jesus says to these people, it's, it's desperation time. I, I shared with this information with you a couple of months ago, but it's worth sharing. Again, I should probably share it once a month at least, maybe even more than that. We live in a the harvest is larger than you can imagine time right now. That's the time that we live in. That's what I shared. If you take our church facility as the center point and you go out in a three-mile radius and you make a circle, there are 37,000 people who live within that circle. And when those 37,000 people are asked about their religious affiliation, not what church they belong to, just asked about their religious affiliation, are you Christian, are you Muslim, are you Jewish, are you Hindu, are you Buddhist, etc.? 22,000 of those 37,000 people said, I don't have one. I don't have one. So if, like me, you struggle with numbers, let's make the numbers a little bit easier to deal with. So imagine that you are in a room of 37 people. And the question is asked of that room, how many people in this room are affiliated with a religion, with a belief system? Raise your hand if you are. 15 of those 37 people would raise their hands. 22 would not. We are living in a time when the harvest is larger than we can imagine. We are living in a time when there is a, the issue is not, is there enough crop to harvest? We, we are living in a time where the question is, are there enough laborers? The laborers are few. It's urgent. Our time is just like Jesus's. So Jesus says to these 72 people, it's, the clock determines the play, and the clock has determined it's urgent. So he gives them one job. You have one job. Go. Go. That's it. That is your one job. Go. Get out of here. You You can't harvest unless you first go. You have one job. Go. And that's the fourth hill that we as a church will die on. That's it. That is our only job. The job that has been handed down from Jesus to us. We have one job given straight from Jesus to the disciples, to us. In the power of the Spirit, we've been given marching orders. Go. And as we are going, our job is to make disciples. So I just want to be crystal clear on this, and you're going to think, would he stop repeating himself? But I'm going to say it over and over and over again. You and I, we have just one job. Go and make disciples. That's it. It's harvest time. That's our only job. Sometimes we make this, all of this, way more difficult than it needs to be because we get confused about what our job is. We forget what time it is. We have one job. Our job is to go and make disciples. Now hear me out. Our job is not to have the county's best worship gathering every Sunday. That's not our job. That's not our job. Now listen. We have what I think is a great worship gathering. But we have that 
because we want to make disciples and we believe that great worship gatherings help us to get our job done. But our job isn't to have the best worship gathering. Our job is to make disciples. Worship gatherings help us do that. We have one job. Our job isn't just to have great or incredible youth and children's ministries. That's not our job. Our job is to make disciples. We have great children's ministries. We have great youth ministries because we think, it, think those tools help us to accomplish our job. Our job isn't to have a great preschool or child care center. I mean, if we exist as a church and we have a great preschool and we have a great child care center, but we have nothing else, we, we haven't done our job. We don't exist for that. We have a preschool and a child care center, and it's great. Because it helps us do our job. Listen, our job isn't even to grow or build a church. A larger building doesn't mean we're better at our job. A smaller building doesn't mean we are worse. Because our job isn't any of those things. Our job is to make disciples. And when I say our, I don't just mean mine. I mean our. Your job and my job, to make disciples. That's it. That's the only command that Jesus ever gave to his followers. He didn't say to his followers, go and build a big, beautiful church, never once. He said a lot of times, go and make other followers of Jesus, and baptize them, and introduce them into this new way of life. Never once did he say to them, have this program or that program or this thing in place. None of those things were commanded by God. There's only one job he handed down to them and only one job that we share today. Go and make disciples. It's the same job those 72 has. So he huddles them up. He says, hey, fellas, the clock determines the time. It's urgent. Let's go. But before they break the huddle, he levels with them. He says, look, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. I'm sending you out, check this imagery, as lambs among wolves. Maybe you guys could bah this morning. Some of you probably need to howl. Let's tell the truth. (laughs) Just joking. (laughs) Anybody in the house ever felt like a lamb in the midst of a pack of wolves? You ever felt like that recently? You ever felt like you're living in a world that circles you up, hunts you down, surrounds you, swarms you and comes at you from all angles? You feel defenseless and weak and vulnerable? Jesus says, I'm sending you out. You're going to be like a lamb amongst a pack of wolves. For whatever reason, our children have always had this phobia, this fear about wolves. Not the oldest. She's tough. I don't know why. But, like, we've never had an up-close personal encounter with a wolf. A lot of y'all have been out to the wolf park. It's a big draw around here. We've never even been to the wolf park. But I don't know why, but they've always been scared about wolves. So much so that one of our children came to us one day unprompted. And said, with like tears, can wolves open doors with their paws? 
And man, it kind of feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? It kind of feels like the wolves just surround and swarm. And here we are as defenseless little lambs, bleeding, crying out. And Jesus says to you, I'm sending you out, and that's the posture you are going to assume. You're, you're not going to assume the posture of the wolf who's in attack mode. You, you, you're going to assume the posture of the lamb who's weak. And because of that, I'm buddying you up and partnering you up, and you're going to go two by two out into the world like they did when you went to summer camp, and they said, if you're going to go to the deep end of the pond, you've got to be buddied up with someone because it's dangerous out there, and we don't want to see you drown. Jesus says to us before we break that huddle, and he sends us out to, to accomplish that one job, this is going to be tough. It's hard. You're like lambs amongst wolves, but you have one job, and your one job is to make disciples, and it's urgent. It's urgent. It can't wait, but it's going to be difficult. And then Jesus does something else that's really interesting in this story. He makes it more difficult for them. He takes things away. He says, your resources, your tools, I'm going to take those. So give me your wallet, your bag, your luggage, your sandals. I need all of that. And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, here is Jesus, and he's sending out his followers to accomplish the most important task at the most important time in the whole history of the world. And Jesus has already acknowledged, this is really going to be tough. But now he's saying, I'm going to make it even more difficult because I need that wallet. I need your luggage that you're going to carry your your tools and your resources with. Your extra pair of sandals. I, I need that too. All of the resources that they would naturally use in order to accomplish the task that Jesus has given to them, he takes it away. He removes it. Why? You know, we live in this really interesting moment. All of our workplaces, every single one of them are busy. We have orders to fulfill. There's work to be done at all hours of the day and the night thanks to technology, and at the same time, the business world is super competitive, profit margins are kind of tight, and in these conditions that we live in today, we're all being asked to do a ton, a lot, but we're be, being given the resources to get that job done. Those resources are dwindling and smaller, so we're asked to do more with less. We have a lot of work to do, and all of that work to do is urgent, but we aren't given the resources that we need in order to get it done. And, and those of you who live and work in this world, you know how frustrating that is. That is demoralizing. And what does it want to make you do? It makes you want to blame your boss. Point your finger at the bug. That boss, he or she, they, they don't give us what we need in order to get. And I wonder if that's how the disciples felt. I wonder if they wanted to say to Jesus, you mean you just gave us the most important job in the whole world to do. You said it was going to be hard. And now you're going to make it worse. We don't even have any money. We don't have an extra set of clothes because you took away our bag. We don't even have another pair of sandals. 
Why? Why would you do that, Jesus? And the story doesn't tell us. They never ask. Jesus never has to answer. So we have to speculate. But if I had to guess, I think that Jesus probably instituted the wallet ban, the bag ban, the sandal ban, because Jesus knew what time it was. The clock determines the play. It's urgent. And urgent times require, listen, a desperation of dependence. Urgent times require a desperation of dependence. Because Jesus knew what we often forget. That mission can't be solved or cured by money. Jesus knew what we often forget, that they can't accomplish that thing no matter how much stuff they had. He knows they can't fix that problem with their own tools. None of those things can actually make disciples. Those things can't announce Hey, God's kingdom is here and you can be part of it. Those human things that they cling to, they can't save. Jesus wanted them to know the harvest is bigger than you can imagine. It's ready. It's urgent. The clock determines the play. The urgency of your circumstances necessitates you traveling light with a single mind dedicated to the task at hand. And so if you could this morning, I would like for you to put yourself into the shoes of one of those 72 people. You've been buddied up, so if you want to link arms with somebody or put your arm around them, choose your partner, that's fine. He's commissioned you. He's sending you out. He's just buttered you up and told you, listen, this harvest is bigger than anything you've ever seen before, but you've got to go get it. And then the tone changes as he looks in your eye and he says, you're like a lamb. And they're like wolves, and it's going to be tough. And then it gets even worse because he says to you, okay, empty your purse. I need your wallet. In fact, just go ahead and hand your whole bag over to me. Going to need your extra pair of shoes. Hand those over. And you're going to start, if you're anything like me, you'll start to feel like, well, what do I do? How actually do I get this job done? What do I have to offer? I don't have anything now. I have nothing. And some of us are in a season, some of us in this room are in a season of life where there are two things that are happening at the exact same time. The first is this. We are more clear now than we've ever been about what our life's purpose is. God's found us. He's woken us up, set us on a course. And we realize now more than ever, this is what I was made for. We're beginning to believe, and that belief isn't just stopping in our head. It's making its way into our heart and out through our hands. We're believing in our gut. God has this big, beautiful, wonderful purpose for me, and I get to join him in his mission in the world. That thing is happening, but then at the same time, God is asking us, hey, all of that stuff that's really important to you, I'm going to need you to give that over to me. And it's meaningful to us. Meaningful people and relationships. God is saying, 
You got to give that thing to me. Resources and money. God's saying, get that thing over to me. Stuff that we've accumulated. God's asking us, come on, give it over. Because he knows this. Attention is the beginning of adoration. Attention is the beginning of adoration. And what we give our attention to is ultimately what we will begin to worship. So if we give our attention to that wallet, pretty soon we're going to start to worship it. And if we give our attention to that relationship, pretty soon we're going to start to worship it. If we give our attention to that career or the stuff or anything else, pretty soon as we stare at it, we'll begin to adore it and we'll begin to worship it. Jesus knows, listen, this thing I'm calling all of us to is way, way, way bigger than your wallet can afford, than those relationships can gain you, than the stuff. I mean, there's none of those things will get any of that done. I mean, there's no amount of money that can break the power of systemic sin. There's no amount of stuff that can be used to free people from slavery to sin. The resources we hold in our hands can't meet that need. So Jesus says, hey, I'm going to need you to give that up. Why? So that you and I, so that we can be in a position of radical dependence on the one thing that we do have to offer that can actually change somebody or something. Go Purdue. That one thing that we have, the presence of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. All of the things that we thought would usher us into the kingdom have been stripped away. Why? So we can become completely dependent and absolutely desperate for the one thing that can actually get the job done. God's presence. That's it. When we hold those tools in our hand, those tools can convince us that we, you and I, can handle this. But we can't. We're not that good. God is, and in these moments of urgency, God asks us that attention that's diverted to those things, will you give that attention fully and completely to me? Sometimes I think we forget. We get into areas of comfort in our lives, and we forget that it is true that the clock determines the play. And what the clock is saying to us is it's time for desperation. It's time for us to become the people who are willing to give everything and anything over to God so that we can rely upon the one fundamental thing that can change our lives and the lives of those that we love the most. We can begin to think that renewal or personal spiritual renewal can come without sacrifice. But it never has. And it never will be able to. Personal renewal always begins in the moment and at the time 
where we've got nothing left except the one thing that means the most in the whole world. So if you find yourself this morning in a season of your life or in a spot in your life where it feels like things are being removed, they're fading away and falling away, and your natural reaction is to want to grab on to all of those things and try to scoop them up and hold them tight, it could be that what's happening in your life is God is getting you to a position and a posture where the only thing you have left is the only thing you need, his presence made available to you. And so he says to his disciples, you have one job. And he says to us, you have one job. Go, drop it all, give it all over, and go. And trust that as you go, He's all that you need. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to continue our sermon series called The Hills We Will Die On. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to go ahead and open it up by reading from God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, and we're going to read all the way down through verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord. After these things, the Lord commissioned 72 others and sent them on ahead in pairs to every city and every place he was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. So plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. Go! Be warned, though, that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Carry no wallet, no bag, no sandals. Don't even greet anyone along the way. And whenever you enter a house, first say, may peace be on this house. And if anyone there shares God's peace, then your peace will rest on that person. If not, the blessing will return to you. And remain in that house, eat and drink whatever they set before you, for workers deserve their pay. Don't move around from house to house. And whenever you enter a city and its people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick who are there and say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. And whenever you enter a city and the people don't welcome you, go out into the streets And say, as a complaint against you, we brush off the dust of your city that has collected on our feet. But know this, God's kingdom has come to you. And I assure you that Sodom will be better off on judgment day than that city. This is the word of the Lord this morning. We're in uh, week number four of a sermon series called The Hills We Will Die On. And so I think by know you now that we share as a church, we share... We share a common mission, and our mission is really simple. It's based off the mission that Jesus handed down to all of his disciples, and it's just simply this. We exist as a church to transform ordinary people into passionate followers of Jesus. That's our heartbeat. That's what we want more than anything else. We want to see ordinary people become deeply passionate and give their whole life to following after Jesus, and we want to do it together. 
But for the last three weeks, we've talked about some hills. Like some hills we won't die on. There are just some fights we're not willing to fight. But there are some things where we will draw a line in the sand and we will say, listen, this is important enough to us. We're not moving from this place. So we talked out of Jeremiah chapter 1 about how the call of God has come out to you. To you. And you were made for this. You were made to live this kind of life. Week number two, we talked about the second hill that we'll die on, which is just simply this. What got you here to this place in your life will not get you there to where God is leading you next. We live lives of continual transformation. And then last week, we talked about the third hill that we'll die on, which is we will live together as if tomorrow and the future that God has for the world is today. Not someday. We don't have to wait until the other side of glory when we are received into the arms of our Savior. We can live that way today. And today I want to talk about the fourth hill that we'll die, we will die on, which is just simply this. We have one job. We just have one job. And I'm going to wait to tell you what it is as we walk through this passage of Scripture together. But we have one job. So in this story in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's making his way to Jerusalem. And and as he's making his way to Jerusalem, this story happens. Now, if you, you, you don't even need to know me all that well to know that I really, I'm a, I'm a fan of sports. I enjoy sports. And in sports, there's this general principle, which is this. The clock determines the play. The clock determines the play. Here's what I mean by that. What that means is that when there's not a lot of time left, you do different things in a game than you would do when you have a lot of time. So at the beginning part of the of the game when you have a lot of time, the clock determines the play, and so you play a certain way. But let's say that the time is running out. It's getting late in the game. The clock determines the play. You play differently. In, in football, that's when you start doing the Hail Marys or the no-huddle offense or the laterals off of kickoffs. You You don't do that stuff earlier in the game, but the clock determines the play. You play differently. In basketball, that's when it's the full court press, and that's when you're fouling people to put them on the free throw line. You don't do that stuff at the beginning of the game, but the clock determines the play. You play differently. Because of that, I mean most famously Reggie Miller, eight points, nine seconds. Can I get an amen? You don't do that stuff earlier in the game, but you do it Later in the game, why? It's the clock. The clock determines the play. And the clock has determined that now is the time when it's urgent. And because it's urgent, it's time for desperation. So Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling there. And there's a crowd of people surrounding him, about 70 or so people, And Jesus decides, listen, the clock determines the play. It's time to buddy these people up, send these people out ahead of me. Why? 
because it's urgent. This is urgent time. So he says to these people, hey, the harvest is bigger. He's inspiring them. The harvest is bigger than you can imagine, and it's ready. It's time. And that's inspirational because everybody loves a big harvest. Everybody loves that. Nobody would say, oh, I don't want the harvest to be that big. Can we make it a little bit smaller? I mean, this is America. We love large contracts. We love big paydays. We love all of that stuff. And, and Jesus says, it's out there. It's bigger than you can imagine. And the time is now. It's, it's, it's urgent. It's urgent. And what makes it even more urgent is that the workers are few. So the crops are ready, but, but the farm doesn't have enough hired hands. Not enough laborers to build all of the cars that have already been ordered on contract. I mean, two weeks ago we talked about the corn is not going to pick, pick itself. You've got to get out there and get it. And they were running the risk of running out of time. The clock determines the play. It's time to be desperate. It's time to be urgent. So Jesus says to these people, it's, it's desperation time. I shared with this information with you a couple of months ago, but it's worth sharing. Again, I should probably share it once a month at least, maybe even more than that. We live in a the harvest is larger than you can imagine time right now. That's the time that we live in. That's what I shared. If you take our church facility as the center point and you go out in a three-mile radius, and you make a circle. There are 37,000 people who live within that circle. And when those 37,000 people are asked about their religious affiliation, not what church they belong to, just asked about their religious affiliation, are you Christian, are you Muslim, are you Jewish, are you Hindu, are you Buddhist, etc.? 22,000 of those 37,000 people said, I don't have one. I don't have one. So if, like me, you struggle with numbers, let's make the numbers a little bit easier to deal with. So imagine that you are in a room of 37 people. And the question is asked of that room, how many people in this room are affiliated with a religion? with a belief system. Raise your hand if you are. 15 of those 37 people would raise their hands. 22 would not. We are living in a time when the harvest is larger than we can imagine. We are living in a time when there is a, the issue is not, is there enough crop? To harvest. We, we are living in a time where the question is, are there enough laborers? The laborers are few. It's urgent. Our time is just like Jesus's. So Jesus says to these 72 people, it's, the clock determines the play, and the clock has determined it's urgent. So he gives them one job. You have one job. Go. Go. That's it. That is your one job. Go. Get out of here. You, 
You can't harvest unless you first go. You have one job. Go. And that's the fourth hill that we as a church will die on. That's it. That is our only job. The job that has been handed down from Jesus to us. We have one job given straight from Jesus to the disciples, to us, in the power of the Spirit. We've been given marching orders. Go. And as we are going, our job is to make disciples. So I just want to be crystal clear on this, and you're going to think, would he stop repeating himself? But I'm going to say it over and over and over again. You and I, we have just one job. Go and make disciples. That's it. It's harvest time. That's our only job. Sometimes we make this, all of this, way more difficult than it needs to be because we get confused about what our job is. We forget what time it is. We have one job. Our job is to go and make disciples. Now hear me out. Our job is not to have the county's best worship gathering every Sunday. That's not our job. That's not our job. Now listen. We have what I think is a great worship gathering, but we have that because we want to make disciples and we believe that great worship gatherings help us to get our job done. But our job isn't to have the best worship gathering. Our job is to make disciples. Worship gatherings help us do that. We have one job. Our job isn't just to have great or incredible youth and children's ministries. That's not our job. Our job is to make disciples. We have great children's ministries. We have great youth ministries because we think, it, think those tools help us to accomplish our job. Our job isn't to have a great preschool or child care center. I mean, if we exist as a church and we have a great preschool and we have a great child care center, but we have nothing else, we, we haven't done our job. We don't exist for that. We have a preschool and a child care center, and it's great. Because it helps us do our job. Listen, our job isn't even to grow or build a church. A larger building doesn't mean we're better at our job. A smaller building doesn't mean we are worse. Because our job isn't any of those things. Our job is to make disciples. And when I say our, I don't just mean mine. I mean our. Your job and my job, to make disciples. That's it. That's the only command that Jesus ever gave to his followers. He didn't say to his followers, go and build a big, beautiful church, never once. He said a lot of times, go and make other followers of Jesus and baptize them and introduce them into this new way of life. Never once did he say to them, have this program or that program or this thing in place. None of those things were commanded by God. There's only one job he handed down to them and only one job that we share today. Go and make disciples. It's the same job those 72 has, so he huddles them up. He says, hey, fellas, the clock determines the time. It's urgent. Let's go. But before they break the huddle, he levels with them. He says, look, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. I'm sending you out, check this imagery, as lambs among wolves. Maybe you guys could bath this morning. Some of you probably need to howl. Let's tell the truth. (laughs) Just joking. (laughs) 
Anybody in the house ever felt like a lamb in the midst of a pack of wolves? You ever felt like that recently? You ever felt like you're living in a world that circles you up, hunts you down, surrounds you, swarms you and comes at you from all angles? You feel defenseless and weak and vulnerable. Jesus says, I'm sending you out. You're going to be like a lamb amongst a pack of wolves. For whatever reason, our children have always had this phobia, this fear about wolves. Not the oldest. She's tough. I don't know why. But, like, we've never had an up-close personal encounter with a wolf. A lot of y'all have been out to the wolf park. It's a big draw around here. We've never even been to the wolf park. But I don't know why, but they've always been scared about wolves. So much so that one of our children came to us one day unprompted and said, with like tears, can wolves open doors with their paws? (laughs) And man, it kind of feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? It kind of feels like the wolves just surround and swarm. And here we are as defenseless little lambs, bleeding, crying out. And Jesus says to you, I'm sending you out, and that's the posture you are going to assume. You're, you're not going to assume the posture of the wolf who's in attack mode. You, you, you're going to assume the posture of the lamb who's weak. And because of that, I'm buddying you up and partnering you up, and you're going to go two by two out into the world like they did when you went to summer camp, and they said, if you're going to go to the deep end of the pond, you've got to be buddied up with someone because it's dangerous out there, and we don't want to see you drown. Jesus says to us before we break that huddle, and he sends us out to, to accomplish that one job, this is going to be tough. It's hard. You're like lambs amongst wolves, but you have one job, and your one job is to make disciples, and it's urgent. It's urgent. It can't wait, but it's going to be difficult. And then Jesus does something else that's really interesting in this story. He makes it more difficult for them. He takes things away. He says, your resources, your tools, I'm going to take those. So give me your wallet, your bag, your luggage, your sandals. I need all of that. And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, here is Jesus, and he's sending out his followers to accomplish the most important task at the most important time in the whole history of the world. And Jesus has already acknowledged, this is really going to be tough. But now he's saying, I'm going to make it even more difficult because I need that wallet. I need your luggage that you're going to carry your your tools and your resources with, your extra pair of sandals. I, I need that too. All of the resources that they would naturally use in order to accomplish the task that Jesus has given to them, he takes it away. He removes it. Why? You know, we live in this really interesting moment. All of our workplaces, every single one of them are busy. We have orders to fulfill. There's work to be done at all hours of the day and the night thanks to technology, and at the same time, the business world is super competitive. 
profit margins are kind of tight. And in these conditions that we live in today, we're all being asked to do a ton, a lot. But we're being given the resources to get that job done. Those resources are dwindling and smaller. So we're asked to do more with less. We have a lot of work to do, and all of that work to do is urgent, but we aren't given the resources that we need in order to get it done. And, and those of you who live and work in this world, you know how frustrating that is. That is demoralizing. And what does it want to make you do? It makes you want to blame your boss. Point your finger at the bug. That boss, he or she, they, they don't give us what we need in order to get. And I wonder if that's how the disciples felt. I wonder if they wanted to say to Jesus, you mean you just gave us the most important job in the whole world to do. You said it was going to be hard. And now you're going to make it worse. We don't even have any money. We don't have an extra set of clothes because you took away our bag. We don't even have another pair of sandals. Why? Why would you do that, Jesus? The story doesn't tell us. They never ask. Jesus never has to answer. So we have to speculate. But if I had to guess, I think that Jesus probably instituted the wallet ban, the bag ban, the sandal ban, because Jesus knew what time it was. The clock determines the play. It's urgent. And urgent times require Listen, a desperation of dependence. Urgent times require a desperation of dependence. Because Jesus knew what we often forget. That mission can't be solved or cured by money. Jesus knew what we often forget, that they can't accomplish that thing no matter how much stuff they had. He knows they can't fix that problem with their own tools. None of those things can actually make disciples. Those things can't announce, hey, God's kingdom is here and you can be part of it. Those human things that they cling to, they can't save. Jesus wanted them to know the harvest is bigger than you can imagine. It's ready. It's urgent. The clock determines the play. The urgency of your circumstances necessitates you traveling light with a single mind dedicated to the task at hand. And so if you could this morning, I would like for you to put yourself into the shoes of one of those 72 people. You've been buddied up, so if you want to link arms with somebody or put your arm around them, choose your partner, that's fine. He's commissioned you. He's sending you out. He's just buttered you up and told you, listen, this harvest is bigger than anything you've ever seen before, but you've got to go get it. And then the tone changes as he looks in your eye and he says, you're like a lamb and they're like wolves and it's going to be tough. And then it gets even worse because he says to you, okay, empty your purse. I need your wallet. In fact, just go ahead and hand your whole bag over to me. Going to need your extra pair of shoes. Hand those over. And you're going to start, if you're anything like me, you'll start to feel like, well, what do I do? How actually do I get this job done? What do I have to offer? I don't have anything now. 
I have nothing. And some of us are in a season, some of us in this room are in a season of life where there are two things that are happening at the exact same time. The first is this. We are more clear now than we've ever been about what our life's purpose is. God's found us. He's woken us up. Set us on a course. And we realize now more than ever, this is what I was made for. We're beginning to believe, and that belief isn't just stopping in our head. It's making its way into our heart and out through our hands. We're believing in our gut. God has this big, beautiful, wonderful purpose for me, and I get to join him in his mission in the world. That thing is happening, but then at the same time, God is asking us, hey, All of that stuff that's really important to you. I'm going to need you to give that over to me. And it's meaningful to us. Meaningful people and relationships. God is saying, you got to give that thing to me. Resources and money. God's saying, get that thing over to me. Stuff that we've accumulated. God's asking us, come on, give it over. Because he knows this. Attention is the beginning of adoration. Attention is the beginning of adoration. And what we give our attention to is ultimately what we will begin to worship. So, If we give our attention to that wallet, pretty soon we're going to start to worship it. And if we give our attention to that relationship, pretty soon we're going to start to worship it. If we give our attention to that career or the stuff or anything else, pretty soon as we stare at it, we'll begin to adore it and we'll begin to worship it. Jesus knows, listen, this thing I'm calling all of us to is way, way, way bigger than your wallet can afford then those relationships can gain you. Then the stuff, I mean, there's none of those things will get any of that done. I mean, there's no amount of money that can break the power of systemic sin. There's no amount of stuff that can be used to free people from slavery to sin. The resources we hold in our hands can't meet that need. So Jesus says, hey, I'm going to need you to give that up. Why? so that you and I, so that we can be in a position of radical dependence on the one thing that we do have to offer that can actually change somebody or something. Go Purdue. (laughs) That one thing that we have, the presence of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. All of the things that we thought would usher us into the kingdom have been stripped away. Why? So we can become completely dependent and absolutely desperate for the one thing that can actually get the job done. God's presence. That's it. When we hold those tools in our hand, those tools can convince us that we, you and I, can handle this. But we can't. We're not that good. 
God is. And in these moments of urgency, God asks us that attention that's diverted to those things, will you give that attention fully and completely to me? Sometimes I think we forget. We get into areas of comfort in our lives. And we forget that it is true that the clock determines the play. And what the clock is saying to us is it's time for desperation. It's time for us to become the people who are willing to give everything and anything over to God so that we can rely upon the one fundamental thing that can change our lives and the lives of those that we love the most. We can begin to think that renewal or personal spiritual renewal can come without sacrifice. But it never has. And it never will be able to. Personal renewal always begins in the moment and at the time where we've got nothing left except the one thing that means the most in the whole world. So if you find yourself this morning in a season of your life or in a spot in your life where it feels like things are being removed, they're fading away and falling away, and your natural reaction is to want to grab on to all of those things and try to scoop them up and hold them tight. It could be that what's happening in your life is God is getting you to a position and a posture where the only thing you have left is the only thing you need, his presence made available to you. And so he says to his disciples, you have one job. And he says to us, you have one job. Go. Drop it all. Give it all over. And go. And trust that as you go, he's all that you need.